0: Matthew chapter six, we're continuing our uh, conversations in the, in the gospel of Matthew about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, talking about topics that Jesus talked about. And we're talking about our roots uh, in faith, getting down to our roots, getting back to what really truly matters as followers of Christ, what really should matter, where we should be. Uh, what we should know, and how we should live. And I think that's the biggest part, the biggest takeaway I'm getting from this series, from studying it, from reading it, from reading commentaries and articles others have written about it, is it comes down to this. This is all about how we should live, how we as followers of Jesus should live, what our our choices are, should be based on. Not listen. I'm not here to tell you what to choose or how to choose how to how to do all the what I what what my goal is to is is to give you foundational principles with which to make decisions in your life. Biblical foundations. Uh, we are living in a crazy time, uh, an odd time, a strange time. Seems like something some new crisis comes up every every day or at least every week. Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's the foundation of our faith, if he is the cornerstone on which we build our, the, the house of our life, our house of faith, our, the house of our family, then our faith needs to remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know we change a lot. We change, this, this church has changed a lot over the years in the way we do things. If we were still doing things the way we did 20 years ago, I'd have a suit and tie on and uh, be chafing at the neck, you know, all that stuff. I'm not a suit and tie guy, but uh, we change methods, but we never change the foundation of our faith. We believe what we believe and we stand on what we believe. that's what Jesus was giving us here in the Sermon on the Mount, foundational principles for our lives. Matthew chapter six, uh, beginning at verse one, if you would stand with me as we read God's word this morning. We're going to read verses one through four. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You may be seated. Now, as I've said uh, the last couple of weeks, this series we're in right now <clears throat> is about money. Right up front, I'm going to say that. It's about money, the walk of faith more focused, you, your money, and how those fit together into a relationship with God. Now, let's not be naive. Like I said last week, let's not be naive. Money is a requirement for living in our society. And because of its necessity, much of our time and attention is diverted uh, to money and away from the pursuits that God has given us that matter for his kingdom and for our spiritual growth. But as I said last week, I'll say it again this week, money isn't the problem. And that's not the way we're coming at this series. I'm not here to beg for your money. I'm not here to guilt you into giving. I, I imagine if I asked uh, you to raise your hands and say, how many of you have ever felt that you've been guilted or pressured to give money to a church?" I think the vast majority of us who have been in church for any length of time will be able to raise our hands and say, "Yeah." And it wasn't just me feeling uh, feeling, you know, overly sensitive. It was truly the way. Uh, the way it was coming across. I know pastors and churches that uh, have posted guards at the door and said, we're going to pass the offering plate until we raise the money we need to raise. (sighs) Listen, man, that's just not the way we do it. That's not the way we're supposed to do it. I'm not supposed to beg for your money. It's not my job. It's not my desire. As I said last week, I know money is required for our church to move forward, for our church to pay its bills and to do things, but it's a very low priority for me as the pastor. There's other people that, that handle the money and they worry about the money and they stress about the money. I don't have time for that, okay? I've got all kinds of other things to do uh, in, in, in being the pastor of this church, being a husband, being a father, being a grandfather, all those things. Uh, whether or not you wanna to give money to the church, While it is a concern, while it is a need, it's not my job to guilt you. And it's not my job to make you feel pressure. And quite honestly, it's not my job. What my job is, is to bring to you the truth of the word of God. What the Bible has to say about your relationship with your money, your finances, the kingdom of God and this church. If this is is where God has led you, this is your local church. What I am sound on what i am stern on is the fact that god has established the local church as his vehicle for reaching the world as is re- and we reach our world by reaching our community so i believe that every christian every follower of jesus needs to be connected to a local church if you're connected to a local church what does that mean how does you how, how do you your finances in the local church work together in relationship, and what is your responsibility? As I said, money isn't the problem. Our attitude and priorities about money can be. If you've never looked at your money as a blessing from God, a gift for living, and a tool for helping build the kingdom of God, hopefully the principles we talk about from the Bible will be eye-opening to you. If your mind has been closed off to using money to help build the kingdom of God because of the way others have treated it, the way other pastors or churches have preached it or taught it, or because you believe that it's all that the church is after from you, perhaps the way we approach it in this series will change your heart and open your mind to the possibilities of what God can and wants to do with your life through the financial aspect and the blessings that he wants to bring into your life because of the way you deal with your money. You see, money isn't the end game. Now, it may seem that way with a lot of churches. It may seem that way with a lot of men and women who preach on TV. It may seem like it's all about money. We want you to plant your seed money with us and God will send a harvest. And you have to really twist scripture into into pretzel-like form to get that. Okay, that's not what the Bible teaches about money. But the Bible does talk about it. Last week I told you, there over 2,300 verses in the Bible that mention money in some way, shape, or form. It's an important topic. The reason it's important is not because of its necessity. Listen to this. The reason money is important, an important topic for you, is not because it is a necessity. Not because we need it so badly here at the church. You know why? Because money can so easily take over your life. That's why the Bible talks about money so much because money can become your God in an instant. Can't it? Talking to a kid at the high school over to Yale high last couple weeks, my wife and I were were chatting with this kid, great football player played football for the team last year. Not playing this year said, Hey, why aren't you playing football this year, man? Listen, when I was in high school, you throw a ball out there. I don't care if it's baseball, football, basketball, soccer ball. I'm there when I was in the army. Listen, you want you need somebody to play soccer? Somebody to play softball? throw? I'm I'm there. I would I would do anything. I I'd, I'd give up anything to play sports. I love it. I love it. My collar's up. The other side. Okay. My wife. That's my wife. She's she's my she dresses me. Thank you. Thank you. She makes sure she always makes sure my jeans are right. I can't Listen. I can't feel my legs half the time, but, but Anyway, this kid So well, why aren't you playing football this year? You know what his answer was? No lie. This was his exact answer. I fell in love with money. Fell in love with money. Started working and started making money. Listen, kids today start here in Massachusetts, you start at almost 15 bucks an hour, right? That's a lot of cash for a kid in high school. My first job I made, I didn't even want to tell you what I made my first job. (laughs) I think I I think it was a dollar, I think minimum wage was a dollar ninety an hour. When I started working, yeah, that's a long time ago. I was managing the old Roy Rogers on Boston Road, uh, that is now Boston Market. Way back when, I was the night manager making two twenty-five an hour. Two twenty-five an hour. Come on, now you're making fifteen bucks an hour. I get it. The reason the Bible talks so much about money is not because God wants your money, not because the church is after your money. The church shouldn't be after your money. That's definitely not where we're coming from. It's because money can become a God in a heartbeat. Money can cause you to do things you would never would have done. Money can do, can cause you to make choices and make decisions and make changes in your life like nothing else can. Why? Because money has that power. What we can do with it. What it can bring to us. What, what it can offer to us. Right? How it can literally change our existence. What the Bible wants you to know, what Jesus wants you to know is, money may be a necessity for life, but spiritually speaking, money is simply a tool for you to use to glorify God. Money isn't the top of the mountain. Money isn't the goal. Money is not the blessing of all blessings. Money, as I said, is a tool given to us by God for a purpose. And that purpose is written to us throughout the Bible. And that's what I want to talk about in this sermon, and the next couple that we're going to be talking about. And as we get into that, let me share with you four quick big biblical principles before we get into the message about our relationship with money as followers of Jesus. The first thing I want you to know is this. We need to concentrate more on building character than growing our wealth. When it comes to you and your money, rather than building wealth, you need to work on building your character. So I believe a person, a, a person of strong biblical Christian character will understand it will receive the teaching and truth of the bible about finances and our responsibility with it and our responsibilities to the kingdom of god and will not shudder at the thought of giving money to the church giving money to a cause greater than us proverbs 22:11 says a good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. That was written by a man named Solomon. Everybody knows Solomon, right? Solomon, I told you last week, if Solomon's, uh, if Solomon's fortune was translated into today's money, his fortune was worth $2.2 trillion. He would dwarf every, uh, every person on the top wealth lists of this world today. Dwar- completely dwarf them. <clears throat> Solomon, richest man ever to live, Incredibly wise, that was his great blessing from God, was his wisdom. Solomon, with all that wisdom and all that wealth, made some incredibly terrible decisions, didn't he? If you read about his life, Solomon was a womanizer. He had uh, 300 wives and 600 concubines, 600 um, mistresses. Solomon uh, just pursued wealth. You read, uh, you read in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, and you read all the pursuits Solomon had. With all that wisdom, He made some incredibly stupid decisions. And at the end of it, the conclusion that Solomon came to is this a good name is more important than being wealthy. Because I'm sure, like most of us, at the end of his life, looking back on the choices he had made, Solomon could roundly say, I wish I would have chosen better. I wish I would have made a better decision. I wish I would have made much better decisions in many situations. Listen, man, I could look back on my life and say, you know what, that was a really stupid move. I was really, really stupid. I look back when I was 19. I had just flown back to Korea. Uh, Zach had been born, I flew back to Korea. It was a 13 hour flight. I stayed up all night in Seoul to catch the bus at five o'clock to get back to my unit. Got down there, what did I see? Like I said, you throw a soccer ball out there, I'm there. Saw a sign, our unit had a game that afternoon. I know. I knew that if I went to sleep, I wouldn't wake up until the next day. I stayed up all day long. I stayed awake for over 24 hours just so I could play in that soccer game for my unit. What happened? Within two minutes, had a strike on the goal, keeper came out, boom, blew up my knee. Now, I have a metal knee, two metal hips, and a fused foot. I wish I would have made a better decision. Okay. I wish I would have made a better decision. I didn't. So here I am. Okay. That's just the way life goes. What we need to do, what our desire needs to be when it comes to money is Solomon says, desire a better name, desire, a good name, desire to be a respected person rather than to be wealthy. Second thing is this. We must seek to earn our living with integrity earn our living with integrity. Proverbs 13, 11 says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. We all see people and, and we all hear people talk about others and how they made their fortune, right? Who they had to step on to climb the ladder. Listen, if God blesses you with the ability to make money, if God blesses you with the ability to, uh, to, make, uh, to, to build a fortune, Do that with integrity. It's possible. It's possible to make godly decisions about money and be blessed and for God to increase. There's nothing evil about having money. There's nothing evil about making money. There's nothing evil about having a good paying job. Nothing evil about having a nice house, living in a nice neighborhood, making those kind of driving a nice car. There's nothing evil about that. But make sure that you didn't commit evil things getting to that point. Third thing is this: we should act as good stewards of the money we receive. Make sure that you, as a follower of Jesus, are not just making sure that you're reading your Bible, not just making sure that you're praying, not just making sure that you're trying to live the Christian life every day. Bring your finances into that that arena of living for Jesus. And make sure that we that you are a good scriptural, godly, biblical steward of the money. That you receive. First thing we do, we Aaron and I. uh, It's one thing we've never argued about is financially supporting our church. We we are all in. First thing we do, uh, we have direct deposit for just about everything. We have the giving app. If you want to know how to do the church, it's church center, right, Jonathan? Is that what it's called, church center? Uh, We have the church center app, and I go to that, click on it. Boom, first thing, before I pay a bill, before I buy a coffee, anything, we, we give and we have our determined amount. We give, uh, I believe, um, at least 10% is what, is what we're supposed to give, and that's what we do. Uh, at least, we give that, we give to missions, we have our set amount for missions, and we give that. That's just where we are, that's what we wanna do. We're not wealthy, we're not gonna break the bank, we're not gonna, there's not gonna be a run on our house to get our stuff like Bilbo Baggins, but I believe we, we have an, a, a responsibility to give. So uh, we want to be good stewards. I believe that if you, if you give to the kingdom of God and bless the kingdom of God through your finances, God will bless you. There's scripture for that. We'll read that the next coming weeks. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 tells us that do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is the key right there. Where your treasure is is where your heart's gonna be. So if your treasure is in treasure... If your treasure is in money, and I've heard a lot of pastors come at it uh, from that way, that, you know, I, you, you need to learn how to invest your money. You need to learn how to grow. Being a good steward is having a healthy retirement account. I, don't, I disagree. Listen, I'm, I'm, of the, I'm of the mind that my retirement account is in heaven. That doesn't mean I'm not putting away, you know, and, and counting on retirement. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm getting to that age where I need to start thinking about that. So I, I'm not against that. But if that's my sole purpose, if I think that's what godly handling of my finances is, then I've got it mixed up, okay? My heart needs to be fixed on the things of God, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And then fourth, we're to keep God first in our priorities, whatever our financial status I read this verse last week, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, just a quick review of what we covered last week. Uh, What is in this passage? uh, What does Jesus teach? The very first thing I see is this. Jesus just assumes that we are going to be willing to give. So when he talks about it, when he's giving us his teaching, he just assumes that we're going to be willing to give our finances to support the kingdom of God. We're expected to have an attitude of gratitude when it comes to our financial blessings. Do you thank God when that check, when that paycheck hits the bank or when that retirement check hits the bank? Do you thank God for the blessing of your home, of the food? Uh, nowadays, hey, Listen, I I went to, I filled up the van day before yesterday and uh, yesterday, filled up the minivan and uh, still tough for me to say minivan. He has fastest minivan on the market. And we, we shop at big Y because my wife will stab me in the, in my sleep if we don't. And, and we go to the big Y express gas station. well, I scanned my big white card on my phone and it asked me, do you want, do you want a $1.10 discount per gallon? Uh, yes. So I filled up the minivan yesterday for $2.47 a gallon. It's craziness, craziness. So I, you know what? I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of a $1.10 off a gallon. Right there, because with five children in the home, a mortgage and bills to pay, a dollar 10 off a gallon is a gallon of milk and a couple loaves of bread or a dozen eggs. Thank you, God, for what you have done for my family, how you've blessed my family. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. We need to give with a heart of generosity, not grudgingly. Listen, Paul tells us that if you're gonna give grudgingly, keep the money in your pocket, right? Give, with, give out of a heart of generosity, and that will give on purpose for a purpose. And this morning, we're going to talk about the purpose of our giving, and that you'll practice humility. It's not about you waving your flag up there and telling everybody. The reason I tell people I give is because I'm the pastor of the church, and I cannot honestly, with integrity, get up here and say, you need to support your church financially and not support the church financially, right? I need to live what I preach. So how do we show our righteousness in practical ways? When it comes to your finances and your service to the kingdom of God, Jesus had a lot to say and teach. But the first thing that I believe we must understand about money, church, you and God's kingdom is why does God want your money? Why does God want you to give your money to the church? Seriously, you work hard to get your money. You work hard to earn what you have. You work hard to earn a living to support your family, provide for them a way of life that is at least survival and comfort and beyond that to give them advantages that will get them ahead of the game and ensure a comfortable retirement when that comes about. I have no problem with inherited wealth. I really do I know people are like, oh, they inherited all their money. You know what that means? Their parents were pretty smart. Their parents really loved them. Because they put money aside thinking of their children. They wanted their children to have a better life. I have no problem with that whatsoever. None at all. Not that it really matters to anybody what my feelings are. But I don't look down on people that have money. I don't, I don't look at them and say, oh, what horrible people. they're!" Listen, I think it's great if you work to, to take care of your family and you pass it on. But in the expression of our purpose for our finances, if that's what it's all about, if it's living in comfort, if it's having a great retirement account, if it's being being able to look forward to retirement uh, in in style, if that's what our focus is with our finances as a follower of Jesus, I would ask this question: Are we missing the point? Are we missing the point of money? Is there something more that God wants us to see about money and our relationship with it that matters more than our bills and our food and our comfort and our old age? I think so. Like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with being comfortable providing a safe and secure home for your family, putting good food on the table, being able to take a vacation and have nice things or planning for retirement. What I'm saying is that there has to be more to it than just that. If God's word spends so much time on this topic, it must be important. And I believe that it deserves our honest attention and consideration. It's very possible that we, when we get to the end of this series, you say, you know what? I just don't believe it. It's just not, that's just not my, in my wheelhouse. I'm going to be, and, and that's fine. man. I just believe that we owe this topic, honest consideration as followers of Jesus. Like I said, I'm not here to pressure you. I'm not here to, to, uh, to, to, guilt you. I'm here to teach and preach. And what you do with it is between you and God. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to give it attention and honest consideration. First thing I believe about you, your money in God's kingdom is your reason uh, or purpose for giving to your local church is important. What I mean by that is this first point, kingdom giving is instigated. Kingdom giving is instigated. There must be a reason for you to give. There must be a reason. Listen, I believe there's gotta be a reason beyond, well, the church needs to pay its bills. There needs to be a reason beyond, oh, it's my religious duty. There needs to be a reason beyond, oh, I, I just feel like it's, it's uh, no. There needs to be a reason. You need to be able, I believe you need to be able to articulate to yourself and to God, not to me, but to yourself and to God. You need to have a reason why you give. And it's beyond uh, so the church can pay its bills. To instigate means to incite someone to do something. My wife made a hat for me um, in the first couple years we were married. And I, (sighs) how shall I say this? I don't mind having conversations and stirring the pot. Okay. I remember, um, any Patriots fans here? I love to, most of you know, if you're a Patriot fan, you know, I love to just needle. I just love it. I love it. Cowboys fans, all of it. You know, I I just enjoy it. I just, that's just me. I like having fun. We call it talking trash. Other people call it other things. Won't say those words in church, but, um, I enjoy it, and my wife was like, You're, and I, I'd do that with Aaron when we were first married. I'd get her, just get her going, just to get her going. And kind of evil, you know what I mean? And she made a hat for me. It, it, she called me the instigate-apotamus. And she put that on a hat. To instigate is to incite someone to do something. And usually, many times, that's in a bad way. But here, in the, in, in the way I'm using it, it's a good way. We our our kingdom giving needs to be instigated. There needs to be a reason why. You need to understand why. What is it about the? And it, listen, I believe it's got to go beyond. Well, God's going to bless me. If that's all it's about, listen. Would you give to the kingdom of God if you weren't promised a blessing? See what I'm saying? There has to be a reason that goes beyond the superficial things. The blessings of God, the favor of God is awesome. That's cream on the top. But there has to be a reason. There has to be something that instigates your giving. Selwyn Hughes said, remember this. You can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. You can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. Rick Warren said self-worth and net worth are not the same thing. Many times we equate our self-worth with how much we have in our bank account. What kind of car we drive. What kind of clothes we wear. The brand name, right? Self-worth and net worth are not the same thing. We as followers of Christ need to find our value in Jesus Christ. I would ask you this question. Have you you ever thought of why you do or should give to the ministry of the church beyond peer pressure or the announcements and the offering plate? Have you ever really examined why you give and why you should give? Does your reason for giving have purpose or is it simply out of duty? I believe that it matters more why you give than the amount you give. I believe it matters it matters more why you give than the amount you give. Acts chapter one, verse eight tells a great story. One of my, it's, it's my favorite story in the Bible. I love this verse. And it has, it, it mentions money, but what was given here wasn't money. What was given here was uh, compassion and love. Let's go ahead and read it. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called beautiful so that he could beg from those entering into the temple. We see that a lot today, don't we? We see people at, grocery st- at, at the exit from grocery stores or uh, at, at intersections Uh, at the end of on-ramps and off-ramps on highways. At every stoplight, there's someone with a sign. Well, that's what this guy was. And those same people there, that's what this guy was. He was a lame beggar. And he relied on the the, the generosity of others to earn a living, to have uh, money and, and food. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. Now, that's, that's, I mean, we could just camp here. I, like I said, I love this. I would ask you this. Do you look at people? Do you truly look at the world? Do you truly see people? I know many, many people. One, one thing that I had to get over was most of these guys have a sign that says homeless vet, right? Listen, man, if you are, uh, I, I'm more than happy to help you out. And we usually, we usually help people out. We, if, I, if I've got it, I give it. Um, I, I don't know their story and I, I don't want to judge people. So we help them out. But there are people who that says it's a lie. It's a lie, right? You're not a vet. I've talked to them before. You're not a vet. Don't, don't claim to be one. And I, I, but I had to get over that and just say, you know what? See beyond that. See the person. Why are they there? Whether or not you give to people is entirely up to you. But do you really see the people? Do you really see the need? Do you really see the need? I would ask you that in the church. Do you see the needs of the church? Do you see what we're trying to do? And that's what we're talking about this morning. It goes on. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. He was expecting them to give him money. But Peter said this. And then, Oh man. This is just amazing. He says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. This guy was expecting money what he did was have his life changed completely. Why? Because two men looked at him and saw him and they saw the need and they knew that they could fill the need. They knew they had the capacity to do something about it. They knew that God had blessed them beyond what they were worthy of being blessed by and they were willing to take the time and give of themselves to this guy. And they changed his life. And what was even better is, after they gave to him, this guy gave the glory to God. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? They saw a purpose for giving. They gave what they had. Something about this man struck a chord with them. Something about this guy. Listen, there were beggars all over. And listen, there's needs all over the place. I just, I got a notice on my phone this morning. There's tsunami warnings up in Taiwan, Right? Because there was an earthquake. There's needs all over the place. Our country, the western part of our country is on fire. Wildfires everywhere. Floods everywhere. There's another hurricane coming in. There's needs everywhere. Why should we focus our needs on the church when we could do so much humanitarian good? It's a question you need to answer. What does God want you to do with your money? How does he want you to handle your money? Is there something about the ministry of the church and the kingdom of God that strikes a chord with you? They knew they had to do something. They knew that they had something that he needed. They knew that giving was what was required to meet that need and the principle applies whether it's money, abilities, time, compassion, or grace. They knew they were, they saw there was a need. They knew there was a need. They knew they could fill that need and they knew it was their responsibility, so they did it. They met the need. See, that's the vision that I believe we should have towards whatever God has given to us, including our finances. There must be something that ignites your interest, your passion, and your desire to listen to this word, not to give, to invest. Because I believe what God has called us to do is not to give our money, although that's the act that we go through, I believe he's called us to invest our money. Invest your money in the kingdom of God that pays dividends in heaven. There must be something that ignites that passion. Billy Graham said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I will tell you where their heart is. In other words, what we spend our money on is where our passion lies. You need to see and be convinced that there is a need to be filled. This is your place of what is called holy discontent. I can't take it anymore. Something needs to be done and I'm the one that can do it. You have to know that something has to be done and that you have a responsibility to at least give it consideration. Andrew Murray said, the world asks, what does a man own? Christ asks, how does he use it? It's not about what you own. It's about how you use it. I believe when you find that reason, when you find what, something that ignites your passion, that is your moment of instigation. Why should you give to the ministry of New Life Church? Is there a need? Why? Why should you be willing to give? Listen, especially in these times when inflation is out of control. Listen, I know there's an election coming up and everybody wants to spin things. I don't really care where, how you vote, who you vote for. I really don't care what, whether you have a D, R, I, anything after you. I really don't care. I believe that God has a plan for the future and that plan is gonna come about no matter what I, what I vote for. You know what I, You know what makes me see reality the grocery store right when I go to the grocery store and buy food when my wife and I go down those aisles and we buy food when I put gas in my car when I do the things that require money I see I understand I understand that it's a disconcerting time at least for those of us who have families for those of us who have bills which would be all of us difficult times does that mean that there's not a purpose or a reason to give? Or does that just mean that now is the time to dig our heels in and say, I'm going to, I'm going to have faith in God that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. Is there a need? Our purpose is not to pay the bills. Now listen, our purpose is not to pay the bills of this church. Our purpose is not to provide a salary for me. That's not the purpose of giving. Our very first purpose as Christians, one of the, the very first reason that we should glorify, that, that we should do everything in our lives to, uh, to benefit the kingdom of God is first to glorify God in all that we do. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's first and foremost, is to glorify God. You have to ask yourself the question, does the way I handle my finances, does the, does the way I treat my finances and my church responsibility, does that glorify God? That's the, that's the first question I think we need to ask ourselves. So our first purpose is to glorify God, then we're, our purpose as a church, as individuals, is to build believers, to build ourselves first, and to help build others, make disciples of all people. And we do that with the purpose and the intent of building them up so that we can reach the people of our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Glorifying God, building yourself and others up in your most holy faith and reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why this church exists. That's why it doesn't exist so that we can have a clothing shed. It doesn't exist so we are, for those of you who are, keeping score, we, we got the, uh, the final approval, the site approval for the solar array and the new parking lot. So that's all going to be taken care of here pretty soon. That's all done. It's not so that we can go green. That's not why we exist. Man, we exist to glorify God, to build ourselves and others in our faith and to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because people are dying and on their way to hell. And they need Jesus as their savior. Is there really that great of a need in our area? I mean, what I just laid out was pretty stark, right? I believe that. I I am that maybe, maybe you don't feel that way. Those of you who are watching us on YouTube or Facebook, maybe you don't really feel that. Maybe you believe a person can be good enough to get themselves to heaven. I'd love to sit down with the Bible and show you that the Bible doesn't say, listen, if you don't want to believe the Bible, that's entirely up to you. That's your call. But if we're going to believe in God, if we're going to believe the Bible, we have to believe what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that we cannot be good enough to get ourselves to heaven. The Bible teaches that we are sinners in need of a savior. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And in doing so, he opened up heaven for all of those who would confess their sins, receive receive him as their savior, turn from their sins, and become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'd love to talk with you about that. So if you, want to, uh, if you want to accept the Bible as true, you have to accept all the teachings of God as true. And the, the reason we exist, one of the reasons we exist as a church is to reach our community with Jesus Christ. Is there a great need in this area? Did you know that our area, the, the Springfield, Metro, I, I guess you could call it metropolitan area back in the 1700s, right? It was the main city. Uh, the Springfield area from Northampton down to Enfield was the heart, was the was ground zero for the first great awakening in this country, the first spiritual great awakening? Jonathan Edwards. Anybody ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards pastored church in Northampton, Massachusetts, and he also traveled around and preached. He preached a message not five miles from here. In fact, if you go down Route Five in Enfield, I think it's right across from the uh, the Catholic um, where the nuns live, the convent, right? Right across from there is a, there's a big boulder on the side of the road and a plaque that says on this site, Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God, a sermon that people were, it, it just, it's, it ignited the great awakening. Well, I don't think we would be mistaken for Jonathan Edwards time here anymore. We live in an area. Well, let the statistics speak for themselves. Is there really a great spiritual need in our area and a reason why we should devote everything, our lives, everything, focus our church on reaching people, including giving of our finances to the kingdom of God? Statistically speaking, Springfield Holyoke is the third least church met, uh, churched metro area in the United States. Number one is San Francisco and number two is Reno, Nevada. So Springfield is number three. We're the number five uh, metro area in the country in the de-churched category. That means people who have walked away from church. And that's all churches, not just uh, non-denominational, not just Baptist, all churches, Catholic churches, everybody. We rank number one. We are the number one post Christian metro area in the United States. Number one. Think about that. Little Springfield of all New York, Miami, Houston, Los Angeles, Seattle, Chicago, all those major cities. We rank number one, the Springfield Holyoke metro area, number one in post-Christian. What does that, what does it mean to be a post-Christian area? It means that people have moved on from Christianity the habits of Christians living a life uh, according to the Bible, all that is gone. That includes our, mor- our morality and our moral choices and our community's uh, morality. It's exactly what that means. Here's some statistics to back that up. 87% of, I'm sorry, let me put my glasses on. 87% of the of the citizens in the Springfield metropolitan area have not read the Bible in the last week. 87%, 65% have not attended a Christian church in the last six months. Now this is an older statistic. I imagine that is much, much higher because of COVID. I imagine that's probably closer to 90% right now and people aren't coming back. I, I talk with pastors all over and people aren't coming back. 60% 60% have never made any kind of a commitment to Jesus Christ. 60%. That's any kind of, a, that's not the kind of commitment we're talking about, accepting Jesus as your savior. That's the kind of commitment that churches uh, teach and some that we disagree with doctrinally. So six, three out of every five people you meet have never made a commitment. At least three out of every five have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. 47% have not prayed to God in the last week. 41% disagree that faith is important in their lives. And nowadays, I remember, I, I remember the phrase: there are no atheists in a foxhole, right? Anybody remember people saying that? There's no atheists in a foxhole. And I remember going through basic training, man. We, there were times of basic training where through live hand grenades. I, I remember when I went to the grenade course, the live grenade course. And you know, you think you're You're tough and you've gone through basic and you're way into basic now and and you're becoming a soldier and you've got the military bearing and everything's cool. And then they put you out on the line with a live grenade in your hand. And there's two other guys standing next to you. And it's in New Jersey and it's 98 degrees and you're wearing 12 pounds of equipment with a helmet and a backpack on and and the sweat's pouring down and your hands are sweaty. And they tell you to get in the ready position Pull the pin, and you have to get in the position to throw. And you have to wait for the command to throw. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And I stood there with my hands sweating and losing the grip on the grenade while the kid next to me couldn't get the pin out. I'll tell you what. Those seven seconds were an eternity. And I was praying to God, please, please let this kid get the pin out. And when they, said fi- when they said throw, I threw and ducked as quick as I could. I don't even know where the thing landed. Missed the target completely. When we get into those times of, of, uh, of, of where, it, where the rubber meets the road in life, many people turn to faith. Many people make deals and bargains with God, right? Nowadays, we're not seeing that. When tragedy strikes, they're not reaching out to churches to come in. And help out. They're not reaching out to church, to pastors to come in and help. They've got it all figured out. Faith is not important anymore. And our, our city consistently ranks between number one and number four. And the, the, the most uh, pressing statistic is from the Barna organization number one in the least evangelized metropolitan area of the country. Not only do we have the greatest need. We have the least passion as Christians. Folks, there's a need. There's an amazing need. There's an unbelievable need. And the the most heartbreaking part of the need is this, that people don't even know. Most of the people in our area, do you realize this? Most people in our area, have never heard the truth about Jesus Christ. They've never heard the truth of the gospel. What I laid out, that we're sinners in need of a savior, that Jesus died on the cross, to save, our, save us from our sins. Atheists put on Easter egg hunts. I've had conversations, I've had discussions, I won't call them arguments. But Why are you, can I tell you what Easter's about? I don't care. I, I want my kid to have fun and have candy. Okay. I, and that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. People don't, they don't know the truth. We are literally a mission field. Did you know that there are mission fields that are, that ha- and I understand how I'm saying this, they have less of an evangelical, e- evangelistic need than we do in our area. Our friends and neighbors, many of our family members, If they were to die today, would spend eternity in hell. They've never heard. They don't know. They've never accepted. Does that strike a chord with you? I believe that's a reason for giving. I believe that Jesus Christ has established the church. Why? Because when we band together, we're stronger together. Remember last week, we read the verse. uh, uh, We read it in in the couples ministry. That's right. Um, Two are better than one so they can help each other out, but then a three-strand cord can't be broken. When we come together in church, it's not just us, it's not just you and me, it's you, me, and God. If we do it right. We band together so that we can be stronger together, we can see that we're not alone, and we can work together to accomplish more for the kingdom of God. Accomplishing more for the kingdom of God is not building a new building, okay? I know what our building looks like, people. Our building's almost 100 years old, all right? This part was built in like 1982, I think, the auditorium. That back part, this used to be a chicken hatchery. The Pelts Chicken Farm. You go to church in a chicken hatchery. If you go to the back part of our building, don't go to the back part of our building. <laughs> it's storage, man. It's, uh, it's an old building, but you know what? We have a group of men and women that work on it to keep it functional. And as far as I'm concerned, we'll keep this building until Jesus calls us home because I'd rather put money into uh, ministries and reaching people and, and, and going out into the community and meeting them and talking with them and sharing the gospel with them than I would in getting into a building program that's gonna take our focus and attention off of what is truly needed just so that we can say we've got a brand new building. The lives of people are more important than our comfort. Is that enough of a reason for you to consider giving to the kingdom of God? How do you find your reason for investing? I believe this. First of all, you must pray for inspiration. If there's anything you get out of this this morning, I, I would want it to be this. Whether you like what I've had to say or not, doesn't matter. Whether you agree with what I have to say or not, doesn't matter. I'm just gonna ask you this. Pray and ask God if it should matter to you. Honestly pray and ask God, put all your preconceived notions away, put all your anger with, those old, uh, with the other pastors and the people that you've listened to and, and the teachings that you had because listen, I'm not after your money. I'm not, I'm not. Last week I told you our, our pay scale for pastors, it goes according to the public school teachers and you can, talk to, you can talk to Cliff and Mary and you can ask them how much I make. I'm not gonna tell you how much I make um, but I'm telling you, I don't make, budget, I don't make what, a, what a public school teacher makes. Never have. Not at this church. Never have. I, I don't even think I'm, I make probably 20% of my, of my budgeted salary. I'm not after your money. Okay? I'm not after your money. My job is to provide for my family, not yours. Not, it's not your job. Now, if that ever comes, I'd love to collect my full salary. That'd be wonderful. But this is not about money. This is not about filling my pockets. This is about doing your part for the kingdom of God, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Faci- being the facilitators. So the Bible says one, water, one plants, one waters, and God gives the increase. Maybe you're the planter. Maybe you're the sower. Maybe you're the person that goes out and shares the gospel. Maybe you're not in that situation. Maybe you're uh, not, not in the position where you see people on a daily basis. You can be the waterer. You can be the person that facilitates others. Listen, it all matters. And here's the cool part, it's all blessed equally by God. How do, how, how do I get that? Because God, look at the parable of the talents. Everybody was blessed. Look at the, the, the parable of the workers. Those who started in the morning, those who started in the afternoon, and those who started in the last hour all got blessed the same, right? It's not what you do that determines your blessings. It's how you do and why you do and that you do that determines your blessing. Pray for inspiration from God. Acts 2, 42 through 45. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What happened? Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. I'm not telling you to go sell everything and give it to the church. I'm saying have an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of generosity. And ask God to lay on your heart what you should do financially for the kingdom of God. That's what I'm asking you to do. Pray about it. Pray about it. You know what? It scares me to death, Pastor John, to think, I've been there, man. I get it. I get it. I understand completely. But I serve a God that does miracles. I serve a God that created all of this with the word of his mouth. And I believe that if you are faithful and honest and passionate about seeking an answer from him, he'll give you the answer. And when you get to that place where you're willing to give to the church of your finances, God will bless you in return. I believe that with all my heart. I do, I do, I do. Pray for inspiration. Secondly, Start looking at life through Jesus' eyes. Start looking at life through the eyes of Jesus. See the way Jesus sees. Remember those bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Look through the eyes of Jesus. What does Jesus see? What should I see? Not what does Joe Biden see. Not what does Donald Trump see. I don't particularly care. I got to be honest with you. Let me, let me go ahead. Let me step over here, so... I don't trust any of them. I think their character is low. Every one of them. I think they lie. I think they cheat. I think they steal. They're politicians. That's what, they, that's what gets them to where they're at. They have to make dirty deals to gain power. Now I'll go back over here. If that's true, why would I put my faith in them? I'm of the mind that says, you are who you put your stamp of approval on. You are associated with those that you associate with. I want the stamp of approval of God on my life. I want to be able to say, I serve God. Yes, I'm a good citizen. Yes, I do my part. Absolutely. But my reward is in heaven. My citizenship is in heaven. And I don't count on this world to justify and validate my life. I rely on him. And I believe he will take care of me and provide for me. I believe I need to see this world through his eyes, beyond the politics, beyond the rhetoric, beyond CNN, MSNBC and Fox and see them through the eyes that Jesus sees them with. Jesus cared enough to die. Do you care enough to give? Jesus cared enough to die. Do you care enough to speak? Jesus cared enough to die for their sins. Do you care enough to live for their eternity? See, I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Acts 20 verse 35 says, in every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because it is, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And lastly, how can you gain a burden for giving? Man, get involved in your church. We're getting ready to split Sunday school into two classes back again because summer's over, people are coming back and we're starting a younger Sunday school class. If you're interested, and I know some people have talked to me already, talk to me again if you wanna get involved with teaching. We need workers in Awana on Wednesday nights. Maybe you don't even come to or maybe your kids don't come to Awana, we need workers. There's all kinds of things, all kinds of ways to get involved here. Get involved. Get involved in your church. Get active in your church. The more active you become, the more needs are revealed to you. The more active you become, the more you get together with people in the church and the more you build relationships with people in the church, the more of a passion you gain for each other, the more you sharpen each other and the stronger your burden and passion gets to reach this community for Jesus Christ. Kingdom of God, kingdom giving is instigated. Do you have a reason? As David said to his brother when he went up against Goliath, maybe giving of your money to the church is the Goliath in your life. It's a giant that you're afraid to battle. David looked at his brother and said, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for me to stand up and be counted? Hey man, is there a reason? What's your reason? Are you willing to at least Pray about it. That's all I'm asking. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being here today. Thank you for all those who were able to come out. Thank you for all those who were able to watch us today. Father, thank you for the blessings that you've laid on us. God, I pray that Lord will at least give it consideration. Will at least pray for your leadership in these matters. And Father, may our hearts be soft and tender to your leading. Father, thank you for all those who have been able to to come back and come to new life. And I pray that you'll continue to build relationships here and you continue to burden our hearts so that we will reach out to our community with a passion and desire to tell them of Jesus. Bless us as we go from this place. May we honor you in all things. In your name we pray, amen.